Well, over the past year, we've been working our way slowly but surely through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. This morning, we come to a passage that is very appropriate for a Sunday like this one, when we're welcoming new members into the fellowship, considering once again the subject of church membership and what it means to belong to the body of Christ. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I'd ask you to open it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Listen carefully as we read the entire chapter this morning from God's Word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kind of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? 
Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a a still more excellent way. The Word of the Lord. We're now in a section of this inspired epistle that is dealing with corporate worship in the local church, some of the dysfunctions that had entered into the ancient church of Corinth and can very easily creep into our modern churches today. Three weeks ago, we looked at a passage dealing with gender distinctions and gender roles in the church and in the home that were being subverted by some of the members of the church. Last time, we learned how Christians in this church were distorting their celebrations of the Lord's table in such a way that they were actually excluding the poor members and fostering a sense of division and disunity. Now beginning in chapter 12, extending through chapter 14, the Apostle Paul will be dealing with the subject of spiritual gifts, beginning here in this chapter with an overview of the unity and the diversity that God has designed for the local assembly. The text that we're looking at this morning and the argument it contains breaks into two main parts. Verses 1 to 13, the Apostle focuses our attention on the unity of the church and the ultimate source of that unity. Then in verses 14 to 21, he switches to a discussion of the diversity that ought to characterize every healthy church, including this church called Rosedale Baptist. Unity and diversity are the two themes Paul drives home in this text as he strives to demonstrate that unity in the church is not the same thing as uniformity. Diversity in the church is not the same thing as division. And according to the inspired apostle, God's plan for every local church is that we would express our spiritual unity through a diversity of function, and that diversity in turn would lead us to a greater unity, greater effectiveness in the kingdom of God and the fulfillment of our mission here on earth. Here in chapter 12, Paul is preparing to confront a problem in the Corinthian church that was causing immense disruption and disunity among the brethren, a problem surrounding the use and the abuse of spiritual gifts and the privileging of some gifts over other gifts. Surprising as this may sound to a group of Baptists like us, the most sought after prized gift within the Corinthian church was the gift of tongues. We're going to have more time after Christmas to delve deeply into that subject. But in first century Corinth, the gift of tongues was seen by many in the church as an outward sign of a very deep inward spirituality. It was carried around by some of those Christians as a badge of privilege and prestige. And so everyone within the church of Corinth who had the gift of tongues tended to look down on everyone else in the church who didn't have it. And that, by the way, is a situation that is paralleled in certain circles and denominations today where too much emphasis is placed on the gift of tongues, where Christians are effectively divided into two distinct tiers, the spiritually elite who supposedly speak in tongues and everybody else. It's false teaching. It's a destructive teaching. And sadly, it's still being promoted in the evangelical church today. And in Corinth, the desire for uniformity, this obsession over one spiritual gift, had become a threat to the unity of the church. It's a threat that the Apostle Paul needs to address, and he does it right here in this this chapter by giving instruction to a church that was elevating personal experiences, unusual manifestations over the clear teaching and truth 
of God's Word. Well, as I've already mentioned, Paul's emphasis here in the first 13 verses of chapter 12 is on the unity of the body. He's speaking to us here at the level of the local congregation. He is giving us biblical principles that apply directly to Rosedale Baptist when we say that our mission as a fellowship is to reach in, to serve one another, to disciple one another as members of Christ's body. And the way that the Apostle Paul emphasizes the unity of the church is by emphasizing the divine person who is responsible for creating that unity, the person of the Holy Spirit. Just look in the opening verses of these chapters at how many times Paul mentions the role of the Holy Spirit in creating the unity of the church. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Verse 13, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. You get the point. The clear emphasis here is on the activity of the Holy Spirit in creating the church body. And there are several key points we must glean about the Spirit's role in creating the unity of the church, whether the church in ancient Corinth or in modern day Welland. One thing we learn from this text is that the Spirit creates the church body according to His sovereign will with all of the various parts present for a unity of function. Understand this morning, friends, there would be no Christians, there would be no Christian church apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regenerating the human heart which is dead in trespasses and sins, completely void of any natural desire and love for God. This is why Paul says in the opening verses of the chapter, nobody can say Jesus is Lord apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we all know it's possible to mouth those words. It's possible to repeat a religious mantra. But the truth is, nobody can proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ with heartfelt sincerity apart from the regenerating work of God's Spirit. This sovereign ministry of the, of the Spirit and regeneration is what we also call being born again. That's a phrase that was coined by Jesus in John 3 when He compares the regenerating ministry of the Spirit to wind that cannot be controlled or manipulated by the whims and the desires of men. It is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit that brings the spiritually dead back to life. It is the first work of grace that God accomplishes in us. But that's not all that the Holy Spirit does. You see, when you first became a Christian, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. You received a special gift of God that is be, to be used for the glory of God within the context of the local church. You didn't get to choose that gift. You didn't have any say in the matter. It was chosen for you according to the sovereign will and the infinite wisdom of God. Verse 11. And after giving you that gift and empowering you for kingdom service, the Spirit led you according to His sovereign will to a local assembly where He placed you alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ so that your spiritual gift can be used and exercised for His glory. That's the way God works. He saves us and then He directs us towards the local church. 
And the church body is a functioning unit only because of the Spirit giving gifts to believers and then placing us in various Bible-believing congregations that are scattered around the world. The sovereign distribution of gifts by the Spirit is one of the most powerful arguments in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped and adored together with the Father and the Son. You know, there's a heresy out there that teaches the Holy Spirit is not a person, but rather that the Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force from God. Jehovah's Witnesses teach this. The Christadelphians teach this, along with several other cults that do not believe in the Trinity. The passage that we're studying today provides clear and compelling evidence the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Rather, the Holy Spirit is a real person. You see, impersonal forces do not have a will that determines action. The Holy Spirit does have a sovereign will. And more than that, the Holy Spirit has has the power to put that sovereign will into effect. What we have here in 1 Corinthians is a chapter that emphasizes the personhood and the full deity of the Holy Spirit. Key points of doctrine that we cherish here at Rosedale Baptist Church. We are a Trinitarian church with a robust Trinitarian theology. A God who is one in essence, but three in persons. We're going to have more to say about the Trinity in just a couple minutes. The church body is a unity because it has been created by the one Holy Spirit. That's the first point we must notice in these verses. But the second point, emphasizing the church's unity, is found in verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Understand here, friends, the spiritual gift that you possess is not primarily for your own personal use and edification. That gift is for the common good. And that is a critically important thing to observe in the text. The gift that the Holy Spirit has given you is not primarily for you. It's for all the people that are sitting around you. And this is why under normal circumstances, you cannot be a healthy and obedient Christian if you are bouncing around from church to church or if you are sitting in the privacy of your living room watching television preachers and not interacting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Spiritual gifts are given to the church for the common good. So the first thing Paul wants us to understand here is that we as Christians are part of something that is greater than ourselves. We're part of something that has been created by the Holy Spirit for the common good of God's holy people and ultimately for the glory of Jesus Christ. And these concepts of unity and service are so closely linked in Paul's epistles, you cannot have one without the other. God saves you and puts you in the church so that you can serve within the church. And please note carefully here, brothers and sisters, before we move on, you and I are not the ones who create unity within the Christian church. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates unity in the church. Our role as Christian men and women is to maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit has created. That is the message of Ephesians 4 verse 3, not fabricating some kind of artificial unity, but rather maintaining the unity our God has already created through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Unity of the Spirit is a theme that dominates the first half of the chapter, but when we come to verse 12 of the text, Paul introduces the illustration of a body. It's an illustration that is meant to show us that true unity is expressed in diversity. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. You see, unity in the church exists when all parts, all members of the body, are working together in harmony for the common good. Uniformity exists when everybody within the church wants to be the same part of the body and to do the same thing. When everyone wants to be on the worship team. When everyone wants to teach publicly. When everyone wants to have some kind of an outward, invisible role. Uniformity was a problem in the ancient church of Corinth. One of the reasons Paul writes this epistle is to help them work through these issues to move from unhealthy uniformity to healthy biblical church unity. In ancient Corinth, everyone prized the gift of tongues, but Paul is writing this chapter to help them understand how unhealthy, how dysfunctional it would be for everyone to have the same spiritual gift or to prize one gift above all the others. So he introduces in verse 12 the well-known illustration of a body. Now those of you who've had the opportunity to read through the New Testament will realize Paul often uses the image of a human body to illustrate how the church should function at both the local level and also at the universal level. The level of the local assembly where the rubber meets the road and the level of the worldwide body of Christ that crosses over denominational lines, that crosses over cultural barriers, that crosses over traditions, and that even crosses over time. The illustration of the church as a body teaches us the ideal model for a healthy church is not uniformity, but unity. It is unity expressed in diversity. One body that is composed of a variety of members working together for the glory of God and for the common good. As we consider this very important matter of unity and diversity, I want to suggest to you the Trinity is an excellent model for us. A concept that Paul introduced back in verses 4-6 to by mentioning each one of the Trinitarian persons. Let's look again at those verses so you can see the Trinitarian reference there. 4-6. to Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and in everyone. There we have it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier today and on many other occasions, we Christians believe in one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is co-equal, co-eternal, shares the same divine essence, but at the same time, each member of the Trinity fulfills a distinct role. The Father sends the Son. The Son comes into the world to rescue all those the Father has given to Him. The Holy Spirit effectually calls those people to repentance and faith and applies the redemptive work of Christ to their lives. In the doctrine of the Trinity, we see one God who exists in three persons. And in the doctrine of the church, we see one body that has many members. There's an analogy here. It's unity in diversity. Now We observed this a few short weeks ago when we were considering gender roles. The way in which men and women are equal but different. And here again in chapter 12, we are confronted with this same pattern once again. 
And I'm absolutely convinced, brothers and sisters, God has designed things this way. God has designed the church here on earth to reflect His unchanging triune majesty to the world. I hope you can see from this illustration of a body, there is nothing wrong with diversity in the church. In fact, diversity is necessary if we are to fulfill the mandate and the mission that God has entrusted to us. We are all members of one body. Nobody in this local church is more important than anyone else. I'm no more important to God than you. You're no more important to God than me. Diversity in the local church will only lead to disunity when members of the local church begin to compete with one another. When we are not content with the gift God has given us, when we try to usurp the role that God has given to our neighbor. God's Word says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we must learn to be content with the gifts and the abilities that God has given to each one of us rather than spending our time and wasting our energy wishing that we were someone else. We're all unique. God has created us with different gifts. That's a good thing. Not everyone in the local church can be an eye. Not everyone can be an ear. Not everyone can be a mouth. That's the first kind of dysfunction Paul points to in verses 14 and 19 where one member is envious of another member, where members of the church are not content with their gifts and therefore either sulk in self-pity or else sit on the sidelines convinced that they can do nothing of value. And on the other extreme are those members described in verses 21 to 31 who are self-important, who think that they can live the Christian life without the help and the assistance of anyone else. You know, every local church has members who gravitate towards one of these two dysfunctions, either to be self-deprecating and passive or else to be spiritually proud and arrogant. The result of this, of course, is a grotesque distortion within the church. Instead of having a well-proportioned body with many functioning parts, you end up with a giant eyeball or a giant ear or a giant nose, maybe even a giant mouth. What good is that? You know, I think there might be some apostolic humor here in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's a little bit like going to a carnival and standing in front of one of those funhouse mirrors. Because at one moment you look into the mirror, it stretches out your face and it shrinks your torso. The next moment it shrinks your head and stretches your legs. And sadly, that is the way that churches look when the members of the church are not fully engaged as they ought to be. When members seek uniformity instead of unity. When members sit off on the sidelines letting others do the work God has called them to do and that God has gifted them to do. No, brothers and sisters, the truth is we need the liver. We need the kidney. We need the heart. We need the brain. We need the little toe. Well, it's amazing how much can go wrong when one part of the body is damaged or missing. Probably some of you have experienced that in your own life. Remember from my human anatomy class at the University of Guelph, the three smallest bones in your body are found in the inner ear. If you take those bones out, all three of them can fit on the tip of your finger. Do you know something else, friends? If one of those bones is missing or damaged, you'll be deaf. And that will affect the whole body. 
Recognize here, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what gift you possess. You have an important role to play in the body of Christ. God has uniquely gifted you. God has sovereignly brought you into this local church called Rosedale for a reason and for a purpose. We need you. We all need each other. Let's look again at verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. On our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The point Paul is making here about our need for one another as members of Christ's body is really the key idea that comes out of this entire image of the body. It is not just a nice idea for you and me to be part of a church family like Rosedale. The Word of God actually says participation and service within the body of Christ is essential. It is not optional. We are Christ's body here on the east side of Welland. Just think about that for a moment. You know, there are many very important institutions and organizations in our world and in this city that do many worthwhile things. We have hospitals that help the sick and the injured. We have schools that educate our children. We have militaries that defend our freedom. We have government and police forces that help maintain law and order to maintain the public welfare. But of all the good and the great institutions that God has ordained for the good of mankind, I am fully convinced there is no institution on planet earth that is more important than the local church. I believe the local church is the most important institution in the world. It is the most important institution in this city because the church of Christ is the body of Christ. We as members of that body are stewards of the greatest news humanity has ever known. A hospital can cure physical diseases in your body for 80, maybe 90 years. Only Jesus Christ and His Gospel can eternally cure a person of the disease known as sin. Public schools, private schools have the potential to do good by providing education for children, but only the gospel message is able to renew and to transform the mind and to grant us a wisdom that comes from above. The church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 The church is the ambassador of Jesus Christ and the herald of His kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5.20 The church is a city on the hill. It is salt and light in a dark and sinful and broken world. Matthew chapter 5. The church is the bride of Christ who He loves so much that He gave His life for her sake. Ephesians chapter 5. And if the Lord Jesus loved the church that much, if He continues to prize and to cherish the church in spite of all of her flaws and imperfections, should we not love the church too? Should we not use our God-given gifts for the advancement of the church's mission until our Lord Jesus returns to this earth? 
You know, there are some people who might say in response to all of this, why should I become a member of the local church when I've already been baptized by the Spirit? When I'm already a member of the universal church? I mean, isn't it enough just to pray the prayer to become a Christian? Love Jesus, help my neighbor, read the Bible, pray, listen to the odd sermon on the radio, leave it at that? The answer to that question is no. No, it is not good enough. At least not if you want to be an obedient Christian who is living in accordance with the whole counsel of God. You see, whenever we speak about the church and membership within the church, we need to understand the New Testament deals with the subject of church membership on two different levels. There is on the one hand membership in the universal church, and on the other hand membership in the local church, and these are two different kinds of membership that overlap. We become members in the universal church by placing our faith in Christ, by repenting of our sin, by receiving the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you are a born-again, spirit-baptized Christian today, you are a member of the universal church. And that is a very good thing. It's essential. It's good to be a member of the universal church. We praise God for everyone who's repented of sin and placed themselves under the authority of King Jesus. But I need to say this morning something that is so important when it comes to this subject of membership. And I've said it many times before. Every member of the universal church who has received the grace of God and the baptism of the Spirit was designed by God to be an active member of the local church where the Word of God is preached, where the ordinances are rightly administered, and where church discipline is exercised. And if you are already a Spirit-baptized member of the universal church, the next step for you is to become a water-baptized member of the local church whether here at Rosedale or somewhere else. If you're a Christian who has already repented of sin and trusted in Christ, the next step for you is to be baptized in water. And if you want to take that next step of obedience, please come and speak to me. And if you're here this morning and you are already a baptized Christian, the next biblical step for you is to become a member of the local church to enter into a formal covenant with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like Elena and the Zwartz and the Millers are about to do this morning. And if you're here this morning and you are already a baptized church member, the next step for you is to figure out how you can use your spiritual gift in this local body and then to get busy serving the Lord. I think it's right to say at this point in the message this morning, I am so grateful for this church family, for so many of you here at Rosedale who are doing just that. And that includes, by the way, some of you have not formally joined the church, but still serve faithfully and self-sacrificially within this body. I want you to know this morning, I appreciate each and every one of you. I love each and every one of you. I want the best for each and every one of you. And that is the reason why I continue to speak about the importance of baptism and church membership. Because the Bible is clear. This is God's plan. This is God's design for our lives, for our spiritual well-being. It's a matter of obedience. It's obedience to Christ. And the Lord Jesus says, those who love Him, obey Him. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare to welcome a few new members into our growing Rosedale family, 
want to give you a couple practical reasons why it is so critical for every Christian believer to be a baptized member of the local church. Number one, membership in a local church helps to guard us against two sins. The sin of envy and the sin of pride. In verses 14-20, to Paul deals with the sin of envy in the church by urging the believers in Corinth not to say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Or because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Then in verse 21, he turns to the sin of pride by saying, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He deals with envy and he deals with pride. Membership in the local church is a very good thing because it forces us to recognize our interdependence. It helps to shake off that stubborn North American spirit of independence and autonomy. Church membership reminds us a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not a private relationship with Jesus Christ. Church membership gives us a venue for service in the church and church membership makes us accountable to church leadership, and to the larger body of Christ. One of his many excellent biblical commentaries, John Calvin once wrote, To no one does God give all the gifts, lest anyone satisfied with his particular portion should separate himself from other Christians and live only for himself. That's a very good and important word for us to hear. Well, Rosedale, let's praise God. Let's thank God this morning for this glorious spiritual institution called the local church. And we also thank God this morning for the opportunity we have right now to welcome a few members into the Rosedale family. I'm going to show a short video clip about church membership, and then I'd like to call our members and also Pastor Ron forward as we affirm new members into our fellowship.